Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm Orion. I'm here with our host, Peter. Peter, what is this message about, this podcast? It's Romans chapter 4. Uh, right after Romans chapter 3, where Romans 1, 2, 3, Paul's building up how bad the news really is. He finishes chapter 3 with the really great news is that we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by our faith. And he goes into chapter 4 that we're going to be in this time, where he talks about how he knows we're justified by faith. And he uses the life of Abraham as an example. Uh, I've shared it previously, and I want to share it again, that if you're picking up the first time in Romans 4, let's say you picked up in 3, and now you're on 4, and you're like, oh, these are pretty good so far, or maybe they're garbage. I don't, I don't know. That's up to you. But if you've just picked up here, I'd like to ask, or at least suggest, that you pause or stop or save this or whatever you've got to do, and go back and start at 1, only because Romans is this book this uh, this essay, this letter that Paul wrote that builds on itself. The points that are made, particularly in chapter 4, which I'm, I'm super excited about, um, builds so heavily on what's been said in chapter 3. And chapter 3 builds so heavily on what's been said in chapter 2 and then, and then back to 1, of course, subsequently. And as we move forward in Romans, it's going to continue to play true where What's been said before is the foundation for what's being said now. And so if you're just picking up in four, eh, hang on to it. Don't lose it. Uh, but maybe go back to one and start from the beginning. That being said, uh, Romans chapter four, uh, shared before and I'll share again. Uh, we're teaching out of the NIV mostly because it's easy to teach out of. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the best version there is or any of those other things. There's plenty of debate on that, and I don't even want to waste your time or my time entertaining that debate here. That would be a waste of time. Thank you for saying that, Orion. Um, it's really great to teach out of, particularly in a verbal situation. Um, it reads well. It listens well. And so that being said, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But before we do that, <laughs> I got ahead of myself. Psych. I want to remind you of chapter 3, only because otherwise 4 seems like this weird anomaly in the middle of itself, where chapter 1 said, uh, basically, God is evident in everything. God has made himself apparent through all creation. And because mankind, I'm not blaming everything on men, we're not blaming everything on women, because mankind, it, it actually says in Romans 1, refused to acknowledge God or give thanks to Him. God just turned them over to every sin they could think of. Not every sin He could think of, every sin they could think of. And it lists all this stuff. And it, it starts out with the big ones. Um, <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. Because in God's eyes, they aren't the big ones. They're, <laughs> they're all sins. They're big to us. That big does. It starts out with stuff, crazy stuff like homosexuality and that kind of stuff. And it gets all the way down to like disobedient to parents. And says, these are, God turned them over to all these things. Basically, mankind invented all sorts of ways of doing wrong. And that's what God turned them to because he refused to acknowledge, or they refused to acknowledge him. And then chapter 2 goes, if you think those people are bad, you're judgmental. And being judgmental is bad in and of itself. And by the beginning of chapter 3, Paul goes, here's what you need to get out of chapter 1 and 2. There's nobody righteous. Not even one person. And he quotes from different sources in the Old Testament, from um, Exodus, I believe, from Psalms, from Ecclesiastes, Isaiah. And he goes, there's, there's nobody righteous. He goes so far as to say there's no one who seeks after God. 
at all. And then at the end of chapter 3, he goes, you know what's great about that? We're not justified by what we do. Our righteousness comes by faith in God. That's what makes us right with him. And so chapter 4 opens, and, and he's going to go, it's, I said it last uh, in chapter 3, this phrase or a version of this phrase that chapter 4 opens up with is going to come up again and again and again and again in Romans. So chapter 4, verse 1 opens with, what, shall, what then shall we say? So Paul goes, if everybody's sinned and there's nobody righteous and no one seeks after God and that's good because we're justified by faith, he goes, what should we say then? So what then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. So what should we say that Abraham figured out in regards to this idea that our righteousness comes by faith? Verse 2. In fact, Abraham was justified by works. Yes, if in fact. Oh, sorry. (laughs) See what I did there? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about but not before God. What does Scripture say? Well, Scripture says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It comes right out of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It doesn't say Abraham did what God said, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It says Abraham believed God, and that's what made him right with God. It separates works from the equation completely. And if you backtrack to where that sits in Genesis, it's interesting to note. It comes from Genesis 15. Um, It actually occurs before God's promise. If you look at the chronology of Abraham's life, um, Abraham, uh, God comes to him and goes, Hey, uh, I'm going to send you to this new land. Just pick up everything you've got and go. And Abraham goes, All right. I'm a go. And he goes. But before that, God makes this, um, or in that, God makes this covenant with Abraham. Not before, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. In that, God makes this covenant with Abraham. He goes, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to make your descendants outnumber the stars in the sky. I'm going to make them more than the sand. And Abraham goes, cool, I don't, I don't have any quite yet. And God goes, no, no, it's, it's coming, I promise. But before all of that, it says Abraham believed. God. And that's what was credited to him as righteousness. It's so super cool. And there's a lot in that Abraham story um, that I think we can learn from. One of the things I was talking to somebody about a while back was the story of Abraham pulling up roots and going somewhere new that God told him to go to. It's easy for us, if we're discontent in our current situation, to have God come to us and go, hey, go somewhere else. And we go, all right, anything's better than here. This place stinks. Yes, please. But it's Abraham's described in Genesis as having a lot. He had a great place uh, to live. He liked where his tent was pitched, wherever. I don't remember now the details of that. But he had tons of livestock. He, uh, he was as rich as he could possibly be. And God goes, yeah, let's, let's just go ahead and leave all that and go somewhere you've never been. Where you're going to be a complete stranger and there's nobody in your family or anybody like you. And Abraham goes, yeah, okay, that works. That's a little more bananas to me. And, and I hope you can see that it's kind of bananas. But it's a testimony of Abraham believing God. So moving forward. Verse 4, Paul says, Now, to the one who works, 
wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. You go to your job and you clock in and then you clock out and you clock in and you clock out. And the end of two weeks, they write you a check. It's not like, oh, we did you a favor. Here's a check. Like, you know, whatever. But if you didn't show up for two weeks, not vacation time, not sick time, nothing. You just didn't show up. And at the end of two weeks, they give you a check. That's a gift. Wages, it says, someone who works, what's given to them in response for that work is earned. It's not a gift at all. It's an obligation. However, verse 5, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. He says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Essentially, blessed are those who are righteous. It's from Psalms. And and Paul goes on to say, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Uh, Only for those who have the covenant with God or also for the uncircumcised, those who don't have the covenant with God. He says, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? And Paul goes, it wasn't after, it was before. So if you remember, if you weren't aware, if you go back to this Old Testament story of Abraham, God makes this covenant with him. You're going to be my people and your descendants and all that. And Abraham goes, all right. And God goes, I just need one thing from you to show that you have this covenant with me. I'm going to go ahead and need you to circumcise yourself. Abraham, you almost could see him going, wait, what now? What? But he doesn't. He goes, all right. Okay, God, we're good. And so that's that piece of God. It says where it says in Scripture that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. It happens before he ever was circumcised. And so Paul goes, this righteousness or this blessedness, he says in verse 9, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? He goes, Abraham's righteousness was credited to him, or Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness before his circumcision. So therefore, this righteousness cannot only be for those who are circumcised. Because faith producing righteousness happened before circumcision. So then how can after circumcision it only be for the circumcised? It doesn't make sense. So verse 11 And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal, an outward expression of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. Remember, when we opened Romans, if if you've already heard that one, that one of the things that was going on in this Roman church was this, this rift or this disagreement between uh, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. So the Jewish Christians are like, yeah, you guys are cool and all, and we appreciate you're in the club, but you know you haven't been circumcised, you don't have the law, and you don't keep kosher and whatever else, and so we're just a little bit better. It's like full-blooded versus half-blooded uh, sibling kind of an attitude almost. Like, uh, oh, well, you know, yeah, you're like, you know, yeah, we share the same uh, father, but, you know, you're not really 
a, a full brother or something. Uh, my wife's probably not going to like me sharing this story, but it's pertinent and I find it a little humorous because it doesn't affect me directly. But growing up, she's got an older brother and a younger sister. She's a middle child. And her older brother and her used to tease her younger sister all the time that she was adopted. Anytime their younger sister didn't get her way, they'd be like, that's because you're adopted. It's almost what's going on here. Sure. Of, you know, the Jewish Christians are going like, hey, God loves you, but you're kind of adopted. Like, like you know, you're not their favorite, you know. But And then the Gentile Christians are going, wait a minute, we're adopted. That means they picked us out. They're just stuck with you, oh. you know. It's, it's this argument that goes back and forth. And so in, in the Jewish culture, the father of all things is this guy Abraham. God is referred to, when people would describe God, that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of Abraham. It's Abraham is who the human we identify with God, along with Moses and some other dudes, but Abraham. And so Paul goes, cool. Abraham is the father of those who are righteous apart from circumcision. And you can almost see the Jewish Christians in the church reading this letter and going, that's not... But, but I mean, he makes good points, but, 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 but yeah, it's right there in verse 12 again. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who are not, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I, you pointed out that, uh, Abraham is this, uh, He's the the for, he's the father in the faith. He's uh, so much respect, revered figure in uh, in Israel in the Jewish faith, and in the Christian faith. I think there tends to be this tendency to. I mean, I'm certainly um, in this camp where it's like I don't I don't really uphold any man, even the great men of the Bible, because I know Jesus, and so I have a tendency to almost not toss them out, but it's like, well, it's neat that they said that. What did Jesus say or whatever? You know, I, I run everything past Jesus. He's, he's the final say so, but uh, it's just a neat, this is a way to connect for Christians to be able to connect to um, for Gentile Christians. I, I need to specify with uh, Jewish Christians that uh, we have the same father in the faith and we have the same heavenly Father. I mean, we are we we are full blooded brothers and sisters in in the Lord. That's I think the key is this. We refer to the Old Testament and the New Testament. The the New Testament is not a new story. It's a continuation of a story that started with Adam. Really, of you know, we are all children of Abraham, whether we can. Prove it through you know one two three and me or ancestry DNA or whatever else. Whether we can prove we're ethnically Jewish or not, we're all, circumcised or otherwise, come under that that promise that was given to Abraham because it was given to him pre-covenant, pre-circumcision. But he was circumcised and the covenant came through him through Israel, but it began before that, and so it gives us all access. And the other point you brought up is, you know, in, in, in modern Christianity, it's almost a a tenet of our faith that we revere no man apart from Jesus. It's a, it's a thing we do. You even see it um, in Acts. It's one of my favorite things in Acts of, 
Um, Peter comes to Cornelius' house, the centurion, and we know a lot about that story of Peter had this vision where this blanket came down with all sorts of foods, clean and unclean. Three times God told him to kill and eat. He's like, oh, nothing unclean's ever touched my lips. And God's like, oh, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Fast forward, he goes to Cornelius' house and his whole family uh, accepts Jesus and, and gets baptized. And that's the story we pull out of it. But there's a little piece in there in Acts where Peter walks into Cornelius' house and they all bow down before him. And Peter goes, whoa, not me. No, thanks. I'm not the guy. I'm, I want to tell you about yeah. the guy. I know the guy. I'm, I'm not, not the, the guy. guy, which is so cool for me and such an encouragement because one book before Acts, John or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are kind of synonymous with each other. They all happen in the same time period. Peter's not that smart. He's not that good. Uh, he's not that put together. He doesn't have that wisdom or that presence of mind. He can't do anything right to save his life, pretty much. Quite literally, pretty he much. tries to do something right and almost drowns in the Gospels. He's just not good at it at all. And the Holy Spirit does something in him at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Um, he preaches this sermon and doesn't ask anybody to bow their head, doesn't ask anybody to close their eyes, doesn't put on soft music, doesn't turn down the lights. He just closes, and people go, what, what do I have to do to be saved? Not like one or two people come up to him after. There's 3,000 people who shout it from the congregation. What must we do then to be saved? That could give a guy a big head. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys with big heads run with that stuff. And he's like, no, no, not me. No, not, not the guy. Not the guy at all. It's just so cool. But it is really a tenet of our faith um, on some level, some unspoken tenet, to not revere a man apart from Christ. And so when we read some of this about Abraham, we're like, what was the big deal with Abraham? He's just another dude. But in... It was a big deal. It was a big deal. You've, you may have heard the term in your church life, the patriarchs, the fathers of Judaism, of, of being a Jew. Abraham's top five, top two probably, <laughs> um, I would guess. I mean, he's up there with Moses and Elijah. He's, he's a big guy. Yeah. Um, so much so that almost this entire chapter of Romans, chapter 4, is dedicated to Abraham's faith. And so we move forward on it. Verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Remember, the law is generations yet to come. Abraham's one guy. He has a son named Isaac, who has two sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel, has a bunch of sons. One of them is Joseph. Joseph ends up getting all of Israel, which isn't much at the time, into Egypt because of a famine. And they stay there so long that, fast forward, I think 400-ish years later, they're all slaves in Egypt, but there's like a million of them. Cross a Red Sea, they wander in a desert for 40 years, and they come back to this land that Abraham started or came to first as a new nation. But it started with Abraham. And, and in that process of wandering in the desert for those 40 years is when they got the law. So he is 400 years plus of several generations removed from the law. So it was not through the law, again in verse 13, because Abraham was way before the law, 400 plus years, that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. 
Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. It's something God said about Abraham. It's something he said about Israel. But uh, the, the particular quotes from Genesis 17, it was God saying, I have made you the father of many nations before he was ever the father of many nations. Moving forward, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. I love that phrase. If you want to hold on to something from Romans 4, it's that God calls into being things that were not. One of the things I'm fond of talking about when you discuss the topic of prayer is it's getting a chance to talk to God, the same God who said, let there be light. There was none. There was no like, oh, I know what light is because it hadn't been yet. And light, you get light. That's God calls into being things that were not. And it's the same God who says you, uh, Orion, or you listener, are righteous. Even though chapter 3 said there's no one righteous. God calls into being things that were not. It's so super cool. No, that that is rich. And uh, is this... Um we like to give credence or respect to we've talked about you know if if only at church we got excited as excited about Jesus as we do our favorite sports team winning a championship or whatever i mean we're not just maybe professional sports guys as much as some but we see that still like you know the celebrity status that people have and uh, oh your father does what oh that's really cool uh, he's an inventor oh that's neat no, God is an inventor. He, in, he invents literally concepts that have never been constructed before. He invented logic. He invented matter. He invented, invented what we call time. And when you talk about being able to address God and he hears us by his, his own grace, he hears when we address him. He hears our pleas. We have that avenue. Peter's head is exploding over here, just uh, marveling at the... Uh, yeah, it's it's a big deal. And I think we should be excited about entering into the presence of this great God. That this God longs to have fellowship with us is so bananas. Yeah, that that's like... I, you lost me there. It's the whole reason for the promise he gave Abraham that continues to play true in our lives today that, that Paul's talking about here in Romans 4. It's because he longs to have fellowship with us that he credits anything to us, that he gives us or imparts righteousness to us. Yeah, because we wouldn't have it otherwise. There would be no fellowship if he didn't go, I need a way in order to give you clearance to see me. Right. You need backstage passes. You're... No one else has the ability to give you these passes but me. And he gives us the passes. Yeah. And he gives us a pass. Yeah. And, <laughs> like and he initially did it through Abraham and then through the law. And he goes, nah, not enough for you. Or you're, you keep throwing your passes in the garbage. I don't think you understand. I want you backstage. I created you to come backstage. Fine. If you're not going to wear your backstage pass, I'm going to send my son out to get you. 
bring you backstage. Yeah. What? The ultimate usher. It's so, it's so, if you can start to wrap your mind around the magnitude of this, of how much God desires us and what he's done in order to have us be a part of him and to have him be a part of our lives, um, it's got to evoke a response in you. Powerful stuff. If you can agree that God is God and that what he says is true, that he wants you, he desires you, and he pursues you, I got to think it can't help but produce some sort of response in you or from you. It does for me most of the time. I I struggle. We all struggle. We lose sight. Um, I think at times we lose faith. But, man, so awesome that we are under grace and that God continues to pursue us. So moving on to verse 19 or 18, I'm sorry. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I don't want to make light of this, but I think it bears remembering. If you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah, he was a hundred plus, she's like 98. And his angel shows up and goes, oh, your wife's going to have a baby this time next year. And she laughs. She's yeah. like, <laughs> not only have, am I, have I gone through menopause, it was probably 40 years ago. I have been past menopause for as long as I was before <laughs> menopause. Like, it, it's not just a couple of years ago I stopped having the ability to have babies. Like, much time has come and gone. The idea isn't just mm, not probable. It's beyond impossible sure and so um he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that sarah's womb was also dead well paul even says the the verse 18 the first phrase against all hope yeah against all hope abraham in hope it's like he he had basically no reason to even hope that this could happen except that he hoped in just enough, apparently, in God. And that's the only place that the hope did any good. I mean, we can hope all day in whatever we want to happen to happen. Oh, I just, I just hope a little bit more. It, it usually doesn't change anything. But in this case, it was a promise. So it didn't, it didn't matter, really, that, um, you know, did his hope produce the promise? I don't think so. I think the promise was there. And he hoped in it. And that's why we credit to him righteousness. I think that I think it's probably going to happen whether he hoped or not. Yeah, and so verse 20 actually hits that really well, and I'm glad you brought it up. It says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. I'd like to think... I could say that about myself. I don't know that that's always true. I think I think it's only really good if someone else can say it about you. So yeah, okay, that works. <laughs> that's fine. Okay, good. I, I'm good with not having to own that then. <laughs> Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He promised—that's wow. truth. 
That's as truth as, as what we were talking about in verse 17 of. God calls into being things that were not. He has the power to do that. That's why your Bible, when you crack it open, it's what it starts out with. It starts out with, let there be light. Let the waters be gathered together and the dry places called ground and the water called the sea. And let there be plants and animals and birds and fish. And what? God has the power to do all of this. To the point of he gathered up some dust and formed it together and breathed his own breath into its nostrils and gave it life. And that's, that's how we have access. That's where it started for us. Each and every one of us, that we breathe is the breath of God. It's borrowed from him because he loves us and wants to be with us. So much that he gave his breath and then subsequently his son. Sorry, I get all worked up about it. You probably hear it from me. More times you'd be like, oh, he's talking about this again. It's just when you step away from it and look at the grand scheme of it all, it's so cool. This book, not just Romans, but this book called The Bible, is just this cool beginning-to-end story. I'm going to go back to 21 because uh, 22 opens with uh, it's justifying 21. So 22, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised, this is why, quote, it was credited to him as righteousness End quote. These words, verse 23, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So kind of in review of chapter 4 here, Remembering the chapter 3, Paul opened it with just nobody's righteous. Nobody's, nobody seeks after God even. But that's cool because we're not justified by what we do. We can't impart our own righteousness. The history of the world to this point biblically, to the point where Romans is written, or to the point where Jesus came was, here's some rules you got to follow. Well, we can't follow them. Well, that's, you're going to get punished. Oh, we're sorry. We'll follow the rules now. Ah, just kidding, we can't follow them. <laughs> Fine, you're punished. Oh, we'll follow the rules now. Just kidding, we can't follow them. Over and over and over and over again. And no righteousness came from that. Because everybody was trying so hard to follow the rules. And Jesus comes along and goes, I and the Father, I and the rule giver are one. Follow me. Stop with the rules. The rules are so far beyond you. Not only are you not following the letter of them, he talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Cool. Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? Guilty of adultery. So what if you're following the letter of the rule? You're missing the whole point of the rule is to point you to the rule giver. Mm-hmm. Follow me. Believe in me. Because like Abraham, that will be credited to you as righteousness. And Paul goes, we're saved by faith. Want proof? Look at Abraham's life. All of it was credited him as righteousness before he did a single thing God told him to do. But once it was credited to him as righteousness, you got to get this peace. God told him to do some stuff. God goes, you believe. Cool. Here's what we need to do together. Mm-hmm. And as believers, if we believe, there's things God's calling us to do. And we get scared when we start talking about works as Christians because ah, I'm saved by grace. Can't don't don't put works on me. I, I, I works. And James goes, hey, you have faith? Cool. 
demons got faith. They're just scared of God. They believe in him. Because you want to tell me you're saved by grace, cool, so am I. But I'll show you my faith by what I do. God's got things for us to do. And one of the examples of this uh, I love is something that jumped off the page of the Bible, uh, pages of the Bible for me a few years back. Is you see in the Gospels all these stories of Jesus doing these healings, like this this blind guy, uh, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, is his name. Um, He's this blind guy. He's been blind, I think, since birth, it says. He's begging by the road. He's calling out to Jesus. Everybody's telling him to be quiet. Jesus has got other things on his mind. He's way, on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Jesus has other stuff on his mind. But he just keeps yelling, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus goes, go, go get that guy and bring him to me. They drag the blind guy like, oh, now you, see, you interrupted Jesus. Come on, he wants to talk to you now. He's probably going to tell you to be quiet, too. You should have just sat there and been blind. I I'm taking a lot of conjecture with scripture here. I'm trying to have fun with it. But he comes to Jesus, and Jesus goes, what do you want? And the guy's like, number one with fries. No, he goes, I want to see. Like, I'm, I'm blind. I want to see. And Jesus goes, cool. Your faith. You know, and he gets his sight. End story. Then the Gospels go to the next story. And Luke, it just goes to the next thing. But there's this truth of it of he's been blind since birth. He's been begging by the roadside. It's his source of income. The next morning, he can't put on his dark glasses, grab his white cane and his dog, and go sit back by the road and pretend to be blind. He probably could, but a lot of people were there. I mean, a lot of people followed Jesus. A lot of people knew he was blind no more. Something had to change. He had to do something. He had to learn a skill. He had to get a job. There's work for us to do when Jesus changes us, when God gets a hold of us, when we grab a hold of faith and he imparts his righteousness to us. It requires us to live differently than we did before it happened. That, that's the uh, the whole basis of the, the more than hearers concept. The, do not be merely hearers of the word, but doers. Yeah. You've got to do what the word says. If you believe it true... If you don't believe it, I, can't, I, I want you to get there. I, I pray sincerely that God reveals himself to you in whatever way you need or whatever way you're seeking. But once he does, once you know the truth, it requires action. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. Yeah. And so um, next time we're going to go into Romans chapter 5. The story keeps building. It opens with this great story of hope. Um, The opening passage in, in Romans 5 is, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How exciting.